Let's join our hearts in prayer. Holy God, from whom all blessings flow. Father, we lift these humble gifts to your service. We ask that you would guide their distribution and that they would be used to further your kingdom here on earth. Lord, we are waiting here for you, for a word of your wisdom. Breathe your spirit on us now. Open our hearts and our minds to the working of your word so that we might become instruments of your peace in the world. All God's people said, amen. That's good, right? (laughs) Just a second here to get wired up. Sorry, Evan. My bad, buddy. Here we go. All right, we good? We live? There we go. Got me a stool, Ronnie. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. You're a good man. So our scripture this morning uh, comes out of the Revised Common Lectionary, and it picks up in the Gospel of Mark uh, right where we were last week. Uh, So if if you weren't with us last week, I'll just give you a quick uh, synopsis. We were looking uh, in Mark 6 at the story uh, and the interaction between John the Baptist and uh, and, and Herod. And and in this interaction, we we were asking the question, what happens when the Word of God comes into contact with the people of God, right? And, and so just before this interaction between John the Baptist and King Herod, Jesus sends out, in, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, he sends out the 12 disciples to do work. And, and they go out and they, they heal people and they preach. And then there was this, this account of John, of John the Baptist and Herod, and it's dropped right in the middle of, of Mark's gospel, Remember, we talked a little bit about that, how Mark's gospel really moves from one thing to the next, Jesus always being the center. And then we have this kind of funny story of John the Baptist and Herod just kind of plopped in the middle there. And then the lectionary does this interesting thing this week, is it takes these two passages from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 34, and then 53 through 56. And it seems to cut out all the good stuff. So this chunk that we skip over from like 35 to 52 is the feeding of the 5,000. It's Jesus walking on water. We don't do any of that today. We skip around it. And we're left with these two, what would seem like transitional pieces. Almost as if in this action-packed gospel of Mark, we get to catch our breath. We get a rest. So I want to pick up there in Mark 6, beginning with verse 30. We read, The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
And he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored the boat. Now this is skipping all of that, continuing ahead to 53. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they may, t- that they may touch even the fringe of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I said last week, we looked at this interaction between Herod and John the Baptist, and we, what we discussed was, was what happens when the word of God comes into contact with the people of God. And what we saw was that Herod's response was less than ideal, right? He cuts off John's head, if you don't remember. But I concluded by asking you how you would respond to Jesus' command to love God and to love neighbor. Would you be willing to invest your time? Would you be willing to invest your financial resources? Would you be willing to use your social influence in order to join in what God is doing here in Fort Lauderdale? challenging stuff to be sure but it's also it can also lead us to dangerous places if we don't continue on with what Jesus has to say here because here in this next passage Jesus says come away and rest a while our text this morning reveals Three things. Reveals that rest is biblical. That rest is work. And that rest is necessary. That rest is biblical. That rest is work. And that rest is necessary. So this text in Mark is not the only place in the Bible that that scripture addresses this idea of, of rest. In fact, God saw it fitting to, to address Sabbath rest in the Ten Commandments. And, and we talked a little bit about the Ten Commandments in here last week, I think. And remember that the, the first four of the Ten Commandments really deal with our relationship with God, and the last six deal with how we relate to one another. And so in Exodus chapter 20, we read this fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. Now, Amy, leave that up there for just a second. I think we have a misunderstanding of the fourth commandment. What happens is I think we leave Sunday school if we've grown up in the church or, or, or vacation Bible school perhaps. And our Christian culture here in the United States teaches us that in order to keep the Sabbath, we go to church on Sunday. Now, granted, they didn't have Christian church yet in the Old Testament, but nowhere in this commandment does it say anything about worship. It says to keep it holy. And it says a whole lot about not doing any work. 
Somehow, the absence of work, rest, influences the relationship that we have with our Creator. Not our work, our rest. To gain an even deeper biblical understanding, I want to turn to another Old Testament story. And now this is in the, in the book of Genesis, in, in chapters 1 and 2, in the creation narrative. And the creation story begins slowly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says, on the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And, and light was separated from the darkness. And then on, on day 2, the sky and the waters are separated. And then on day three, separates the water and the land. And then days four, five, and six are spent inhabiting days one, two, and three. And so we get the lights in the sky, the sun and the moon and the stars. We have the birds in the air and the fish in the sea and then animals and then humanity created in the image of God. And I think this is where we make a mistake because so often we end God's creation here at day six. We like to consider ourselves God's crowning achievement. A professor of theology at Princeton, Daniel Migliori, says this. He says, God's creativity comes to its conclusion in the rest, the celebration and festivity of the Sabbath. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. After God creates humanity, it says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God's creativity comes to its conclusion in the rest, celebration, and festivity of the Sabbath. Not in the making of humanity or in anything else. The Sabbath and not humankind are the crown upon God's creation. The culmination is rest. God took rest and he set it apart. Not only is rest biblical, It's holy. It has to do with how we relate to our creator. But friends, the difficult thing is that rest is work. And that may seem counterintuitive, but what I mean in that is that it takes discipline to rest well and to rest regularly and to rest in a rhythm of one in seven days. Perhaps you're familiar with this, but Americans have a propensity for not using their vacation time. This is documented. Fortune magazine published these results last year that 662 million vacation days went unused last year in our workforce. 662 million. Now you may say, Nick, we have a lot of people. That can't be that many. So the Census Bureau figures that we have somewhere between 125 and 150 million in the labor force. And really, not all of those, probably 20, 15 to 20 of the million of those are not 
considered full-time workers or, or those with vacation days that would fit into this. But, but let's just kind of use somewhere in the middle. If we divide that into 662, we end up with five days per American worker go unused. One work week goes unused every single year. And they asked people why that was. Why are you not using your vacation? And the number one reason that people gave was they believed that they would have too much work waiting for them when they came back from vacation. In other words, it was easier not to take a vacation. Which is particularly interesting in light of our text this morning. I want to look again at Mark 6, verses 31 and 32. I remind you, Jesus has sent the disciples out at the beginning of chapter 6. And here we find them coming back and reporting what they have been up to. Very much like Madison did today, like our our young adults and college students did just a couple of weeks ago. But it says here that people have followed them back. In, in verse, at the end, end of verse 31, it says, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. Young adults, could you imagine if people came back with you? You didn't just get to leave them. They came with you. Which is interesting because right, this is, everything is busy. They've, they've gone out. They've done what they were supposed to do. They have done it so well that people are following them around. And what does Jesus say? Verse 31, he says, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. And so they went away in a boat to a deserted place to be by themselves. Business is good. They're filling the pews, so to speak, and Jesus says, let's go. And I remind you, this is the same Jesus who in verse, uh, excuse me, in Mark chapter 3, heals on the Sabbath, right? So are, are you familiar with that story? So Jesus is, is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he sees a man with a shriveled hand. And much to the dismay of the Pharisees there, he heals this man. So this, this decision by Jesus to, to come away, we're not told what day it is, but even if it was the Sabbath, it, it, we can be sure it's not some show of, of religiosity. Because Jesus is willing to do good on the Sabbath, but Jesus sees the need for rest. And he says, come away with me to a place all by ourselves. And, that, and that's what it takes. It takes discipline. It takes moving away to a place by yourself to get rest, even when there is plenty to do. Rest takes work. It takes discipline. And particularly now with how interconnected we are with these. I reached into my pocket at the 830 service and pulled out nothing. I had left my phone down here. So I was really excited when it was there just now. (laughs) Practically, what what would that look like for you? What does it look like to take rest, to take a break from all of those communications, those those, those binding things? Do you see the light flashing on your phone and it sucks you back in? Perhaps it's, it's taking notifications off of your email. Maybe it's blocking a day out in your calendar once a week. Does the concept of that make any of you anxious? 
Rob Bell talks about Sabbath uh, in his book Velvet Elvet like this. He said, Sabbath is a day when my work is done even if it isn't. It's a, it's a day when my job is to enjoy, period. It's a day when I'm fully available to myself and those I love most. It's a day when I remember that when God made the world, he saw that it was good. It's a day when I produce nothing. It's a day when I remind myself that I am not a machine. It's a day when at the end I say, I didn't do anything today, and I don't add And I feel so guilty about it. Sabbath is a day when my phone is turned off, I don't check my email, and you can't get a hold of me. Rest begins with trusting that God is in control. It's a deep expression of worship that we trust in our creator. Roger Bannister you may know is the man who broke the four-minute mile. He said this. He said, Every day in Africa, a gazelle awakes and it knows that it has to be faster than the lion in order to survive. And every day in Africa, a lion awakes and knows it must be faster than the slowest gazelle or it will starve. Every day, whether you are a lion or a gazelle, When you wake up, you better be moving. Somehow, I I think we've been indoctrinated with this idea that we've got to keep moving to survive. Why is that? Where does that lie come from? Because, friends, it's a lie. I was recently having a conversation with a good friend of mine who's successful by every measure that the world might give. A wonderful, beautiful family, a happy, healthy marriage, a secure job, beautiful home, toys to play with. And he he was talking with me the other day, and he was wrestling with with whether or not to to make this next business move. And he was considering the risk, and, and he said, well, you know, success doesn't come without risk, so success has already come. Why are you running? What is it that you are chasing? What is it you think you are going to achieve with one more day? The second most common reason given by Americans for not taking a vacation is the belief that no one else can do my job. And this, my friends, is exactly why rest is necessary. Rest reminds us that we didn't create the world and that it will continue without our efforts Rest makes us available to what God is doing rather than what we are doing. In his book, A Bigger Table, John Pavlovitz, who's an American pastor, tells a story about how he came to work in ministry at all. 
he and his wife had, had not really been involved in a church, and upon getting married, they did, did what many young couples do now and, and began looking for a church. And they'd been attending this small uh, church for a couple of weeks when the woman in front of them, who'd greeted them several times, turned around and said, you two would be perfect to run our youth ministry. He reflected. He said, I certainly had no desire to do that. And I had even fewer qualifications to do so. But the church wasn't asking for any qualifications. Simply us being available was enough. It turns out I would find God to work in the very same way. Our ability isn't nearly as important as our availability. Our ability isn't nearly as important as our availability. And it is only by resting that we make ourselves available. It is in moving away here in this sixth chapter in Mark that the disciples make themselves available for perhaps the greatest miracle we have in the New Testament of feeding the 5,000, right? It's the disciples' willingness to move away from what they believe they need to be doing so that they can join in with what God is doing. God works in and through us, and often in spite of us, and yet we are so wrapped up in the kingdom of me that we miss the kingdom of God. I want to close this morning with a story that has become a lore, legend in our merchant household. I always wonder what Lou and Mary Helen are doing back there when I say something like that. (laughs) When uh, I was 10 or 11 years old, uh, my dad made the decision to buy a video camera. And uh, this was a a big household decision. And this was when video cameras had just gone from being like this big to this big. Right? You could, yeah, that was really exciting. And uh, they, they, ha- they took those little cassette tapes that you had to put in that VHS adapter in order to get into the VHS machine. Do you remember those? Yeah, so the special was if you bought this video camera, this camcorder, uh, that you got one of those video cassettes free every month for a year. So you got 12 free. And so I had gone with my dad when he purchased the camera. I was pretty excited about it. And so I went back with him when he went to go get the free cassette. And so we went back to the video section and we picked out the cassette that you're supposed to get and we went to the checkout line and we sat there and she beep, ran it. That'll be two cents, sir. And I, and I remember so vividly, my father, for the briefest of moments, reached for his wallet. And he said, now... Say that again. And she said, well, that'll be two cents, sir. Now, knowing my father and the principled man that he is, (laughs) I I knew what was coming. (laughs) I knew there was no cents being paid today. (laughs) As we spoke with store clerk after store clerk after manager, who couldn't understand why this was an issue. And friends, at the end of the day, I sat there mortified because I couldn't understand why this was an issue. Because nothing is free, right? 
Come on. Free is free. Rest allows us the space to remember that the grace available in Jesus Christ is free. That it is because of nothing that we do, no good deed we accomplish, no money that we give, no time that we spend, but because of what has been done for us by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, that we are offered free grace. And it is only when we truly rest that we divorce ourselves from the kingdom of me and live into the kingdom of God and can experience his free, life-giving grace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, help us to know what true rest is. God, help us to move with trust into the world, knowing that you hold the future and not us. Ultimately, freeing us to the truth that this is your world and your creation and we live and breathe because of your gift of life and free grace alone. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.